Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Trinity Church in Carryville, Tennessee, right outside of Memphis. For more information about our church, please visit our website, trinity901.com. In many regards, it reminds me of my childhood. I lived on Woodmar Drive in elementary school, and I was fortunate that most of my friends lived within proximity to me. And when the weather was decent, we gathered on a lot near my home, and we didn't play baseball like Sandlot, the movie. We played football. And it was glorious. It was one of the most enjoyable times of my life to gather with my buddies and to play on Saturday afternoons and Sunday afternoons, it was, it was great. But we had an unusual rule that we incorporated into our, our game. And it was called the do-over. And at any moment during the course of the game, you were allowed to say one time and one time only, do-over. And the whole game would come to a stop And we would pick back up where we left off as if what had just transpired never happened. Now we had one particular young man that played in our group and he was legendary. And in fact, he was Mr. Football his senior year in high school for the largest classification in the state of Alabama. He scored on me more times than you can possibly imagine. He was collegiate level fast. I was kindergarten slow. And one time he juked me and ran past me and he scored this glorious touchdown and his team had won and I did what everybody was expecting me to do. Do over. And the points were removed. The play was erased. We started over. He scored again, as he usually did. But I loved the do-over. And when I looked at Zechariah 11 this week, I went back to my childhood. Because in this chapter, you're going to see the do-over. That God is saying, I am going to do things differently. Because He's a gracious and He is a loving and He is a patient God. Now I will admit to you that this is a challenging text. It is not easy to understand. Uh, Perhaps you noticed that as Jeff was reading through the text this morning. Verses 1 through 3 is really a funeral message. And it jumps off the page like a professional whaler, which did happen at the time in which this was written. People who were professionally paid to grieve and mourn at funerals. And so it has... The sound, it is written as if it is a funeral message, people wailing and moaning and and crying. And we see in verses 1 through 3 that it is talking about 
the bad leadership that Israel has experienced in the past. And But we must remember what we learned in the previous chapter. Verse chapter 10, verse 3. God says, My anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for His flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like His majestic steed in battle. Cries of woe because of poor leadership in the past and in the future. But amidst that, amidst those cries, we must remember what God said through Zechariah in the previous chapter in verse 3, that He will punish those leaders because what? He cares for His flock. So it's it's significant to understand that as we move into verses 4 through 14. God is going to deal with those who have dealt with Israel poorly. Why? Because He is loving and He cares regarding His people. So we see verse 4. We see the message. We see in verses 1 through 3 the depth of this message. And then we come to 4. And Zechariah is going to act out a parable. Now we have seen Zechariah communicate to Israel in different fashions. Remember the night visions from earlier in this book. Now he is going to act out a parable that God is giving to him. And the first one is in verses 4 through 14. And he is a shepherd. Zechariah is to represent God and his covenant before his people. God is telling Zechariah that you are to be a shepherd who is to guide a group of sheep who have been marked for slaughter. Their shepherds, who were called to protect them, have betrayed him, betrayed them. And so, as we've looked at chapter 9 and we've looked at chapter 10, there has been the theme of leadership. And we come to chapter 11 and God is saying there has been 100% complete failure. The people who were supposed to guide you, the people who were supposed to lead you, the people who were supposed to represent me to you, to proclaim my word to you, to help you to obey the covenant, to be my special flock, they have done you wrong. They have not done what they have supposed to have done. They have been wholly unfaithful. And I am, I am upset I'm frustrated, and I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to bring punishment upon this evil leadership. But there's also more. Look at verse 8. Remember, this is the parable of the first shepherd. A sheep that had been betrayed by bad leadership. But notice what Zechariah says about the sheep. They detested me. And so he's painting a picture, or he's acting out a picture in this parable of covenant unfaithfulness. 
that Israel has turned their back on the Lord. Israel has not loved the Word. They have not loved God. They have not done what they said that they were going to do at Sinai. They have rejected Him. And what do we know according to the covenant that was made with Moses and the Israelites? If you obey the covenant, you will be blessed. If you disobey the covenant, you will be cursed. And so we see in this parable that Zechariah is acting out that Israel is going to be cursed not only because of its poor leadership, but because the people of Israel detested God. They wanted nothing to do with Him. They did not care about Him. They did not love Him like they should. And verse 11 tells us that they were aware of this. This is not news to them. They are aware of the fact that they are guilty, that they are sinful, that they have violated the covenant, that they have transgressed the covenant. Here's a quote from Dr. Barry Webb. He is a theologian and professor in Australia. He says, God gave them up to what they had chosen by rejecting Him. The breaking of the staff called favor found in verses 10-11, through indicates that the covenant relationship between the shepherd, God, and the sheep, Israel, was broken. Not accidentally, as if God were powerless to prevent it happening, but deliberately, as a considered act of judgment on the people for their sins. You're getting what you deserve. I have been patient for so long. I have overlooked your sins for so long. But you have transgressed the covenant. Punishment belongs to you. In verses 12 through 13, we see the unacceptable payment of the silver that is thrown into the temple. Now, historically speaking, this was not a small price. This was Actually, a great deal of money. It's not that it's too little. It's the people who paid it. They are guilty. And so the Lord tells Zechariah to throw it into the temple. Why there is symbolic. The temple represents the bad leadership, the worship of foreign idols, throughout the centuries. It's a fitting place to deposit guilty money. So this parable that he's acting out is damning. And so then we see the second shepherd in verses 15 through 17. Zechariah acts out the story of another shepherd and it's just a few verses and the message is overwhelming and tight. And it's simply this. They are getting the worthless leader that they deserve. Here you go. Now, we need to rewind. We need to hit that rewind button and we need to go back in order to properly understand chapter 11. 
we go back to chapter 9 because 9, 10, and 11 are a section within the book of Zechariah that hold together. And so we see in chapter 9 that judgment is coming for Israel's enemies. Judgment is coming for Israel's enemies. Remember, some of the Israelites have returned from exile. They have returned to Jerusalem under the authority of the Persian Empire, and they have been given permission to rebuild the temple. Hopefully, by now, we all know this, we all understand this, we could all repeat this. They've come back to rebuild God's temple in order to establish covenant worship. And God is saying, if you will do this, if you will get everything in order, if you will get everything in line, good things are about to happen. Rebuild the temple and commit yourself to spiritual renewal. And so when we come to chapter 9, God is telling Israel through Zechariah, judgment is coming for your enemies. Hey, commit yourself to rebuilding the temple. Don't worry about the Egyptians to the south. Don't worry about the Persians. Don't worry about other nations. Do what you have to do because I am going to subdue them. I am going to protect them, protect you. Judgment is coming. There's nothing that should keep you from aligning your hearts with God and building His temple. We also see in chapter 9 that salvation is coming. This has allusions to the coming of the kingdom of God. Where everyone, everywhere will worship Jesus. They'll worship the Messiah. They will bow down and accept His reign and His rule. Now, They did not know at that time that it would be Jesus. They just knew it would be the Messiah. But God is saying in chapter 9, the kingdom, salvation, is coming through this messianic figure. And so we see one of the most important verses in the Old Testament in Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is He. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foil of a donkey. And so God is telling Israel in chapter 9, remembering the theme of leadership, I am going to restore you. I am going to bring you salvation. You are my people. I care about you. I love you. You've been led astray by kings and leaders of old who wanted nothing to do with my covenants, who wanted nothing to do with me. I am taking this situation into my own hands. I am going to provide you a leader who will bring salvation, who will bring the kingdom. Then in chapter 10, we saw that God is going to be the one to restore His people. I am going to bring you a restoration. Now, this would have been hard to grasp for the people in that time in Jerusalem who had returned from exile because their homeland had been destroyed. Their temple was in ruins. The glory had vanished. It was nothing like it once was under King David and King Solomon. 
What an encouraging word from the Lord and from Zechariah that He was going to restore them, that He was going to make things right. And there are hints in chapter 10 that this has an impact beyond just Jerusalem, but it will be a restoration event for the whole world. Because as we know from the Old Testament, God is concerned with the whole world. Think back to the covenant that was made with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. So chapter 9, judgment is coming and salvation is coming. Chapter 10, God is bringing restoration. Chapter 11, our text today. What God is telling the people of Israel is that they need to ultimately and finally understand that they need His leadership. They need to trust in Him. They need to look to Him that His leadership will be greater than Moses. It will be greater than Abraham. It will be greater than David and Solomon. It will be far greater than the leadership and the kings of the foreign nations who have ruined you. You need to look to Me. This is very important. This is significantly important because this will help you understand the New Testament. Again, I've said this in the past. Our theological tradition says that the Old Testament and the New Testament is one message of redemption for God's people. It is one story for all of us. It's not the Old Testament for Israel and the New Testament for us. We don't believe that. It is one message from God telling His people how much He loves them, and how He is going to rescue them. So when we come to chapter 11, we've already seen this messianic figure in chapter 9 who's bringing salvation. We've already heard about judgment. We've talked about bad leadership. God is saying to Israel in chapters 9 through 11, hey, guess what? Do over. I am going to bring about a new covenant. Something that you can't even fully understand. Something great that I am going to do for my people for all time. And we know ultimately that it is the new covenant in Christ. In chapter 11, and leading up to it in 9 and 10, God is saying, I have not forgotten my people. I've not forgotten you. So amidst the difficult parables that Zechariah is acting out, we are reminded of God's graciousness. You wanted nothing to do with me, I loved you. You rebelled against me, I loved you. You fought against me, I was with you, I was for you. You were taken into exile, I've brought you back. Because I am the true shepherd who cares for my flock. You will have bad leadership, and you will have bad leadership in the future, but because I am gracious, this is what I'm going to do for you. A new thing, a do-over. So how does this help Israel? Well, one, 
when they understand who God is and what He has done for them, it should enable them to obey Him and to obey His Word, which means rebuilding the temple. Secondly, when they understand the depth of God's graciousness, it should lead to worship, to spiritual renewal. The two things that we've been talking about since chapter 1, verse 1. Israel, here's your opportunity. Here's your opportunity. That king is coming riding on the donkey. He's coming in peace with power and salvation. Your enemies will be judged. That perfect leader is coming. So obey me. Do what I'm asking you to do. Worship me. Renew your hearts. It's a new opportunity for Israel. But what does that mean to us? So many centuries after this time period. How do we interpret this text? It's exactly the same thing. God is saying, do over. Here's your opportunity. And it just so happens this message falls at the beginning of a new year where we make new year resolutions. But here's what God is saying to us. This is your opportunity, according to my word, to obey me. Each day is the right opportunity to obey God. To follow His Word. To love His Word. To embrace His Word. To not live in obedience. To not live in disobedience to His Word. We have the same exact opportunity. Obey Him. Do what He asks of us. Not because we gain salvation, not because it brings right standing to Jesus. No, that would diminish the work of Jesus in His life and His ministry and what He did on the cross. When we obey God, it simply is a way in which we acknowledge Him and worship Him. And then we also have the opportunity for spiritual renewal. To turn our hearts to Him to admit our sinful ways, and to say, I want to live for you. That's the glorious news of who Jesus is. He says, come to me and give your life to me. Not only once, but every single day. And live for me. That is why the gospel is called good news. Because the do-over, that is Jesus. He cleans our slate. He wipes away our transgressions. He gives us a new heart. That's who that messianic figure is riding on the back of the donkey and Zechariah 9. He rides right into our hearts and He takes ownership. And so we have the opportunity to obey Him and to love Him. To commit ourselves 
to spiritual renewal now and forevermore. Trinity, may that be said of all of us in 24. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the message that is unfolded in Zechariah. We're thankful for Your faithfulness and Your patience with Your people despite our foolishness and our sin. We thank You for Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, placing claim and victory over His people for all time through His death. And we praise You for His glorious resurrection which points to Your perfect and unending leadership over Your flock. Be with us this day. It's in His name we pray. Amen.